Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is Ruthie, you need Dad and me. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Dad. I said on the bus that I have thought of something. I've had a great thought. I'm a student at the University of York, by the way, if you did not know. Um, And anyway, I've thought of a lot of different comparisons for what university life is like. It's like being at primary school. It's like Love Island. It's like any reality TV show, really. But I think I know exactly what it's like. I studied Latin at high school. And we had to do Roman civilization, and one of the things we learned about was um, Bacchus, who is the Roman god of, of wine. and theatre. It's Bacchanalia. Yeah. Anyway, so which most people probably know, uh, and this is not the whole of university, but on a Wednesday night, uh, everyone it's sports night, uh, so everyone dresses up. Tonight I'm fo- a footballer. Last week it was farmers. The week before was Love Island themed. Like the various different fancy dressings next week is jungle anyway and so Mm. everyone dresses up and everyone goes to the same club which is salvo's and it is just like this thing we learned about that was called um bacchus like the fest bacchus festival yeah the festival is bacchanalia well uh, yeah where all the um rich elite classes would dress up as peasants and basically dance around naked and there was no rules and it was just like very anyone could do whatever because these Wednesday nights are so um, kind of like without a moral societal world it's like a different it's because it's all students and everyone's dressed up so you dress up as people that you're not which is the same thing as they do there's a whole bit about Bacchanalia which is like a Bacchic wand and they like hit people it's very strange that doesn't happen but this is exactly what a Wednesday night out is like Mm. And everybody's quite happy with that, despite the inappropriateness of it and everything. And there's no well, see, yeah, because it's not. You wouldn't on another night. Or so all the rules if it was are in suspended the for one. The rules minute. are suspended every Wednesday. Yeah, because you dress up as different people. Mm. Um, but, but what about which is the same? And it's also like we're these university students who should be generally, you know, quite intelligent, and work, we should be work. work. Mm. Um, and then which is very similar to this elite class that they used to have in Roman times, and then they would dress up as if they were peasants, which in a way we kind of do because we Mm. ignore the fact that we should be more... So, going back five or six podcasts, those uh, Durham students who dressed as government people against the miners... Oh, uh, Margaret Thatcher and the miners. Margaret Thatcher and the miners. They didn't actually end up doing it. They were told no. they went along. But in actual fact, perfectly okay, because rules suspended for the, uh, for the Bacchanal or the Bacchanalia. Mm. Now, what do you have on your mind, Dad? What I have on my mind is family. This is a very sort of family-themed podcast, and I'll tell you why. I mean, we do the two sides of it, your university side, my empty nester side. And a guy called Mark Iverson uh, tweeted, I read something today that said, by the time your children leave for university, you have already had around 95% plus of the time you will ever spend with them. He says, that's a horrible thought. Make every day count so what 
<laughs> did you make every day count, Dada? Well, no, of course nobody did. You know, you, you all the time you're, oh, the kids, yeah, the kids have done this and that and the other. Mm. But in actual fact, you should maybe give them carte blanche because 95% of the time, that's gone. You've And I... I noticed that, even though I'm, fortunately I do this podcast and see you uh, on mm. a Wednesday when we record it, but I thought to myself, the fact you're not there, I mean, some of the time, this 95% of the time, some of it you'll be asleep. And when you become an empty nester, mm. you just walk past an empty bedroom with no stuff strewn on the floor, the bed's perfectly made as it was. As, as I always used to leave my room. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, it, it sort of comes home to you. So I think because the audience, judging by the emails, maybe just the email audience, it's people who've got daughters who are either going to university or will be going to university at some point Mm. or are already there at university. I just thought that was a thought that um, a lot of people would associate with. Yeah, but then I also think that it's one of those things where you're like, oh, I should have seen, you know, if you have a grandparent that dies or something, I should have spent more time with them Mm. or... you know I should have done this and I should have made more out of the time and blah 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 but Mm. you can't put like life on hold because one day it'll be over do you know what I mean you can't you can't make every day with your children be brilliant or be completely worthwhile and meaningful and stuff because that was it's just not how life works you have to accept that unfortunately a lot of the time that you spend with your children will be mundane and frustrating and it will also be over at some point. And that's kind of just how... I, I, I really don't believe in, like, carpe diem. <laughs> like, I don't believe in seizing the day. Like, life is not just one day after another. It's uh, the whole bit of it. And a lot of it is really boring, but you kind of have to do that bit too. But it is a... Fr- well, that's true, but it's a frightening statistic, though, isn't it? That, yeah, uh, I suppose. Y- but then also... Although somebody did a tweet, after, somebody answered this tweet saying, uh, oh my God, you've just got rid of them, and then they come back for the other 5%. <laughs> I, um, I told my flatmates this fact because you sent it to me in a text, and I said, oh, you know, by the time, blah, 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 and one of my flatmates just went, that sounds comforting. <laughs> but I was thinking back to the, my parents, and I suspect that 95%, it was probably 97% or something. You know, I used mm. to go back the odd weekend, but because I was working away down south and everything, and I hardly, uh, yeah. hardly saw the phrases, which didn't bother me at all. At I, I, nev- I never thought... Yes, which is my favourite <laughs> favourite story of your dad. I don't think I've told it on this, but the story is that my dad used to go out drinking on a Sunday lunchtime with his chums, and at one Sunday lunchtime he said to his chums, well, I'm going to have to go now, because uh, my son Martin, he's, uh, he's up from Oxford this weekend. <laughs> Neglecting to mention that I was actually in Oxford as a junior reporter on the Oxford Mail. <laughs> While we're on the subject of parenting, one in ten parents, according to a study, uh, admits to having a favourite child, a survey has found. Not, uh, not all so openly on um, national radio, but... Uh... No, well, we, we know that's a joke when I say uh, you are the one that I like. I like you all equally, obviously, obviously. Mm, do you like us all equally or do you love us all equally? Because I think it's very possible as parents to love all your children equally but not like them all equally. Well, as we mentioned last week or the week before in the podcast, I have a sort of ranking system <laughs> which is very, you know, very precise and mm-hmm. you change positions in the ranking. So Martha is now top ranked because she won an award. So I don't think you should get points for winning awards. It has to be like nice stuff you do for yeah. other people, you know? But anyway, anyone who's nurtured a life 
lifelong suspicion that they played second fiddle to a favoured brother or sister during childhood may well be right, especially if they have a younger sibling. Uh, One in ten parents admits to having a favourite child. Uh, A leading psychologist said that the real figure was likely to be higher because some parents are embarrassed to acknowledge their uh, favouritism. A third of people said that their parents had a favourite child uh, and most did not think it was them. You always say that your parents' favourite was your younger brother. Yeah, I think it's birth order. Birth order is a very interesting thing because there were three of us. Well, birth order is so interesting in terms of like just amongst the siblings, like older siblings, are like most presidents were older siblings, like um, younger siblings are much more likely to be creative but also like wild and like get into trouble more often and mm. stuff. And the really middle, interesting. See, I am what my friend Paul calls the spooky middle child because the middle child is is neither fish nor fowl in a way because the first child obviously it's the first child it's the first grandchild is going to be mm. favoured the younger one is the like yourself is the baby of the family and gets cosseted and everything and especially as the hard part the hard yards of bringing up children yeah. have already been learnt by the time the younger ones and then born. I also think you get a lot more freedom as the youngest child like mm. you are allowed because by this point your parents like you've talked about when David was a baby mum was quite like you know you're worried about the kid Mm. because you don't know what you're doing blah 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 whereas when she had me it was like easy easy and then it stays with it as you get older like you're less worried about them going to parties and stuff because the other kids have already done it anyway so I'm I feel like I was very much allowed to Yes, you can kind of do in, whatever I want. Indulge in the bacchanalia on a Wednesday night and you don't even have to worry <laughs> about it. It's brilliant. Also in this study, there's quite an interesting historical or biblical thing. <laughs> Favouritism has long been recognised. Uh, the book of Genesis describes how Jacob fathered 12 sons but loved Joseph more than all his children. He got the coat? <clears throat> yeah, and he made him a coat of many colours. The indignant brothers sold Joseph into slavery. And then in the... Um third book of the bible the musical one um it's really good joseph oh you mean uh, the andrew lloyd webber yeah the andrew the, lloyd the webber of, the book of andrew yeah. lloyd webber it's genesis the book of ruth andrew lloyd webber the, I, I mean the book of i wasn't making a joke about me writing a biblical book that's an actual book right So I was reading an article that said about how it was talking about whether it was still financially beneficial to go to university. The article said, high pay still makes it financially beneficial to go to university for most students in England, says research from the Institute for Fiscal Studies. Mm. But 20% of people are worse off after paying for their costs, says the study commissioned by the Department for Education. Of their working lives, male graduates on average gain by 130,000 and female graduates. Do you want to guess how much less it is? I don't need to guess because I have that report here. Women, 100,000. This is not that interesting for you then, considering you've already read it. Well, I've already read it, but I was going to discuss it with you anyway and just discuss... Uh, Because another line in the thing, uh, for women, the financial gains of studying creative arts and languages are close to zero. (laughs) Yeah, well... uh, So, not my favourite thing I've ever read. No, well, I looked at it, I didn't see the uh, languages, but I did see the thing about creative arts. Mm. I mean, yours is a more solid degree, isn't it? Mine's more scientific than that. Like, the department is languages and linguistic science. So technically, it's like a, more like a social science rather than mm. a creative art, but it does say creative arts and languages in the study. We have, a, I think language graduates have a really high employment rate, but not a high earning rate. It depends what you go into. Like, you can do... 
diplomatic work which obviously gets paid really well but I think a lot of the translation stuff doesn't I'm not sure but it's very necessary yeah so you always have a job but and as you say there's a sort of bit of a scientific basis because a lot of it is is cultural stuff as well you Mm. learn about the culture of Spain don't you and France and Mm -hmm. uh, all that sort of stuff yeah society but anyway, the the thing that really interested me in this story was how much lower female graduates' lifetime earnings are. The analysis says it is likely to reflect women taking time off yeah. or reducing hours when they have children. But I always think um, it's unfair that women will then earn less because we take time off. But like, if no one took time off, then how did kids get raised? Hmm. It seems unfair. Well, yes, it is, strictly speaking, unfair. But then, as far as an employer's concerned, they've got to be economically viable. Uh, if you're not there doing whatever it is you're paid to be doing, mm. and you're not actually using your uh, degree to do that, from an employer's point of view, if you look at it as purely financial no, I, transaction... No, I understand that. Like, I understand society that a... benefits, society benefits. So uh, the ideal solution would be the government to compensate you for the pay that you're losing when you're not working. Yeah. But again, uh, economically, that would be very difficult to uh, yeah, but it just, especially if you're in a high-paid job. It just does. It does just seem really unfair. Yes, but There's, I think it's an unfair. It's a very difficult. That we're going to have to live with forever it depends how much we grow economically. But I would have said yes, more or less forever. I think uh, you know we often said when you were kids growing up that five uh, percent of your time that we uh, that we spent together. We often said life isn't fair. Uh, and life isn't fair and it'd be nice if everything was you know mm. if life was very fair you know there wouldn't be however many thousand people die of hunger every every day which you were telling me earlier on was it 13,000 you said? Yeah 13,000 I'm not sure where the statistic comes from but you know if life was fair people wouldn't be sitting on the streets begging for money um, yeah I know but it just seems um, it seems unfair yeah it's just, it's unfair. it just it's seems not, unfair but and it's it's annoying <laughs> i thought the interesting well it's unfair and it's uh, annoying and then i also thought like what was interesting in that is it does re- it, it is likely to reflect that women take time off for children which is a really well-known fact although it, it still shouldn't be an economic <laughs> disadvantage to have children but anyway but then it also says the gender gap earn- in earnings opens when graduates are in their early 30s mm. and most people have not had kids yet in their early 30s not in not modern, like not of recent I think times. Thirties is. I mean, it used I to think, be twenties. I think now it's thirties. I think. I think the average age that women have children though is. Should I just Google it? I would say the average age would be about twenty-seven. I think it's more like thirty-four. First child. Oh yeah. yeah. Average age for women to come first-time mums is twenty-nine. So yeah, that does make sense. Hmm. Men are 30, 34. The whole the, God really screwed us with this um, kind of women have the children and stuff. The other thing that interests me in this study uh, is how much you look on your degree and on your studying and everything as a financial transaction. Mm. I think we've sort of mentioned this before, and the fact that pretty well everything you read about university these days somehow comes down to money, you know, mm. as opposed to just education for its own right and everything. And I wondered how much you thought of uh, what yeah. you were spending and what you were getting. And this obviously comes up with the strikes, and you think, mm. because all the articles are strike say well if you're losing this much tuition you're losing i don't this know 200 pounds yeah. worth of tuition or whatever yeah and i wonder whether that crossed your mind a lot yeah it does because 
at the heart of it you read a lot about like mental health at university and this like making friends and blah 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 but at the heart of it it is a business transaction you're paying for a service uh, like any other thing and you, it's weird that we don't look upon it as more of a financial transaction but they because do these days all the, all the but time I don't think like you See, do when I went as to a uni, student I couldn't it didn't well it didn't cost me yeah. anything so it's because it's so uh, expensive but I was actually have been thinking about this a lot and I read another really interesting article um, a guy called Mr Clark who is Mr Clark no he's called uh, I want to say Thomas Clark but I've only written Clark I've not written his first name um, he was what well for God's sake you're supposed to research this and you only th- Mr Clark <laughs> that is pathetic I th- um, he used to be in the Labour Party, he was the one who raised tuition fees to £3,000, which at the time was like an outrage, but now is seems like peanuts. And he said um, that he rejects Labour's current policy to scrap fees and says he was shocked to see that leadership candidate Keir Starmer is sticking to abolishing fees because it is a financial thing. Like, you are getting a service, you, mm. you're paying something to in order to be more valuable to society, and so it should be something you pay for. He said the problem it, with university tuition as it is and the problem with why it comes down to money and, it sh- like, the issue here is... He says there's a dishonesty that says all universities are the same. A law degree from every university is of the same value, and I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think people believe it's true, but the universities say it is by charging the same amount. And I, I kind of do agree with him. University degrees are not worth the same. You shouldn't be paying the same amount for them. Like, you shouldn't be paying £9,500 when you have two contact hours a week versus what I have, which is 13. It doesn't make... Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to I, I, even up. Yeah, uh, it, of course it is. And then, like, different degrees take more work behind them, mm. more facilities. But at the heart of it, if we're going to say either you scrap fees and it's no longer a financial transaction, or you admit that it is universities are a business, it is paying for a service, and you pay for the service that you get. Good point, I think. good point. Um, it, although that is also, like, quite a pessimistic way to view university, mm. but... It's a lot of money. It's, it's realistic. twenty-seven yeah. grand. Yeah. You know. So you're agreeing with Charles Clark, the former. I do in some ways. Charles. Clark. I would like Charles Clark, not yes. Thomas. <laughs> I, I think I would love university fees to be abolished, but I think realistically they're not going to be. And he says the problem is he launched the debate on raising tuition fees to three thousand pounds in two thousand and four, and he said that universities have not helped their case by all charging the maximum fee level. That's not what he intended it to be he says i think there is too much sense of entitlement in universities that says they have a right to be supported by society but you have to demonstrate your value to society so like the government helps fund universities with the tuition fees and stuff because everyone gets loans but then universities are actually very insular and don't give anything back he doesn't think that they are getting sufficiently involved in addressing the social divisions seen in the brexit debates and the challenges of left behind in quotation marks towns 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A little bit of music? A little bit of music. Well, we're going multilingual this morning because I didn't know you would... I mean, I know you told me, but I forgot that you were going to pick... Because last week I had a Spanish song. This week I've got a French song. And I've got a bit of uh, Spanish. I've got a bit of Tex-Mex stuff, a bit of Mexican. One of my absolute favourite artists. But we'll play yours first. Hmm. This is called Balance Ton Croix. Donc laisse-moi te chanter Kind of, so balanced tanqua kind of means expose your what? Expose your what? Yeah, because yeah. um, the the song, so it's by a girl called Angel. Um, looks very young from the uh, video. She looks about she, 10. No, she, well, no. I think the, the girl in the video is that, like, the picture is like a little kid. Oh, that's yeah, like, right. that's not her. Anyway, so the song is really interesting. It's um, like a really, like, feminist song. And the video is like a lot of, like, um, arm um, armpit hair like on show and stuff like that and the lyrics are great (laughs) and the lyrics are really good like if you look at um the translations of them and there's like a lot of lines that are like for a pretty girl you're not that dumb for a funny girl you're not that ugly a lot of those kind of lines and it's a really really good song so i'd recommend listening to it it's interesting because the the style of it is very old-fashioned. It's what the French used to call yeah, yeah. That's what it was called. It was called the yeah, yeah style. Because French pop music never been very popular. And when, you know, worldwide, it mm. didn't, never got a world, whether it's language or whatever, it never got a worldwide audience apart from one or two artists, Johnny Halliday a bit. Uh, but when the Beatles and the British groups were dominating the French charts and British singers, you know, Petula Clark, all sorts of people like yeah. that, the French had their own version, which was called yeah yeah because i suppose they wanted to hang on to yeah. the, the beatles uh, 60s type thing yeah yeah first, <laughs> first time i mentioned the beatles today but they did all that and i've got loads of albums in this series there's one called uh, c'est chic and toujours chic so i'll let you have some of those because mm. the, uh, have you worked your way through the bob dylan theme time haven't yeah no, well you must do but that's a very sort of old-fashioned french style mm. my song is from a guy called ned sublet who is that's um, his real name that's his real name and he's got uh, an album it's one of my favorite albums of all time uh, which is called cowboy rumba i just thought a bit of spanish would uh, help you out in your studies and everything but in this little bit he goes back to his hometown which is in uh, new mexico and they've opened a bar there and he sees this girl in the bar being the social resort he went up to her and said hola que tal which is spanish for Yo, what's up? Bueno, estoy aquí. Which is Spanish for cooling. Te pago una copa. Can I buy you a drink? Como no? Go for it, papi. Como te llamas? What's your name? Me llamo Maria. My name is Maria. 
Quite basic Spanish, but... Uh, yeah, that's good if you're very beginner. You can learn yeah. a few phrases. What's your name? Comete Amas. Very good. There you go. So it's uh, it's all working for you. Uh, Ned Sublet, born 1951 in Lubbock, Texas, uh, American composer, musician, record producer, musicologist and author. I mean, he really knows about this stuff. Uh, he's written books about Cuban music and everything. He studied Spanish classical guitar uh, with Hector Garcia at the University of New Mexico. So how about that? And with Emilio Pujol. P-U-J-O-L, is that the right pronunciation? Where's he from? Spain. Oh, yeah, Pujal then. Pujal. Um, I don't know how it works in Latin America, but there are quite a few different pronunciations. Mm. Had a funny thing in French this week. Uh, we had to read out loud, and then um, I said, beaucoup, and she went, no, 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 that is what I don't want to hear, because she's unbelievably French, so quite, like, blunt. <laughs> really um, French? Yeah. So, oh, no, no, that's not what I want to hear. That means nice ass. <laughs> Um, beaucoup, beaucoup yeah. means nice ass. Beaucoup is what you should say. Beaucoup. Cool. So it's very well, no, it's just she said, like, you can't let your tongue touch your uh, teeth. So it's not beaucoup, it's beaucoup. They're so prescriptive about everything, the French. Mm, much more chill in Spanish. Mm. You just pronounce all the letters. <laughs> got a few emails this this is a really raw email i said that family is going to be sort of one of the themes really of this podcast and kirk steigman wrote to us uh he said hello to both of you i love the podcast as we like to hear i have a daughter at the university of york hmm. uh, and that's why i started listening to you guys our relationship was great once but i've suffered with mental and physical health problems in the last few years and our relationship has drifted apart listening to your podcast makes me feel a little in touch with her i'd love her to know that i love her and miss her very much i understand the hurt i've caused her and i'm truly sorry for that keep up the podcast it really gets me through the week all the best kirk which is a very sort of raw email mm. uh, mark bernstein says uh, martin and ruth your podcast brought we were talking saturday jobs so i think also that just a little bit on kirk's uh, email is that um relationships between parents and children um i think like when you're with your friends and um, so I've done I've been doing a lot of thinking about uh, family relationships because um I've got a commission for a play thing and the play is a lot about families so I've been thinking loads and loads about it and one of the things I've like the conclusion basically of a lot of stuff is um you fall out with your friends often and you never know whether that can that might be the end of the friendship like you it becomes strained you drift away from each other and the, there's a potential always there that that is it but I think like with family um, it's very, very possible to get the relationships back. And you, with parents and children or, like, siblings, you can return to those relationships mm. and um, they're not gone. Like, because you have, like, unconditional love. As long, I know not everyone does with their parents because some parents are awful. Mm. But if you do, like, you can come back to it. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. That's a bit of a sort of message of hope, really. I think, yeah. yeah. I didn't want to just say, like... Oh, sad times, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's... Um... It is straining on relationships. Like, I know that we've... Like, the, our relationship now is, I think, very different to how it was when I was at home because it's just... You have more ease of relationship. Like, it's more easy when you're at home because... You're there all the time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Mark Bernstein wrote to us, and he was on the subject of Saturday jobs, if you mm. know what it was like in the old days. I, says, I read uh, Arthur, well, I read the headline. It just said that the number of 16-year-olds, or 16 to 18-year-olds with uh, Saturday jobs has halved in the mm. past, like, two years or something. Yeah, well, we were talking about it last week. Oh, were we? 
Yeah, we did. We did the whole. We did that. Did we whole the whole thing? thing? That whole thing. Were you not? I thought I did. I read it this morning. At the time. <laughs> I read it this morning. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Well, it was interesting last week. Oh, there you go. It's still interesting. He says your podcast uh, brought back memories for me. He says I'm now 59 of working in the public cafeteria at Selfridges in the autumn of 1977. I was paid six pounds every Saturday. Now uh, it is interesting because in 1977. Selfridges in Oxford Street would have been not quite a greasy spoon, but just a sort of ordinary calf. Whereas now, you, I think you went with me to uh, Selfridges restaurant. We sat there on. Uh, no, we went to like there's like a pret or like a wasabi like inside it. That's where we went. Yes, but what I'm saying is we we sat and had sushi. Or I think it was sushi in uh, Selfridges. Either you or your sister, I can't remember which. Yeah. But it's now very very. But I mean, there are several little. Oh restaurants yeah, because we Selfridges. could see the one like. Yeah, yeah, there's like a really fancy, like... Well, they're all quite fancy, and they're all quite fancy and expensive. In those days, it would have been a toasted tea cake and uh, Really? Coffee. Even... Yeah. Don't you think Selfridges has always been, like, no, fancy? not at all, not at all. I mean, I mean it, was, not... it was back in the day, like, I watched the programme. Oh, Mr Selfridge? Yeah. Yeah, it was... It was fancy in a different way. It was fancy because waitresses had white aprons mm. on and everything and black, and they all wore a uniform, and they came to your table, and they served you coffee, which was more sophisticated than tea in those days. But it was basically a toasted tea cake. Mm. It was selfish, it was a toasted tea cake. Now there's like four different outlets, you know, going... Yeah, yeah. And they get, it gets reviewed in the restaurant columns of papers. My last Saturday ever at work there was Cup Final Weekend, 1978, uh, I couldn't find the score of the game until I reached a newspaper stall by Bond Street Station. Those were the days. You had to pick up a paper to find out uh, a football score. Madness. Absolute madness. But interesting, that weekend in 1978, when he was doing his final weekend at Selfridges, I was doing a course for teaching people how to use the media. And it meant for the first time in my life I missed the cup final because it was on a Saturday afternoon, this course. So I always remember it was Arsenal versus Ipswich. And I think Ipswich won, but I can't quite remember. But Mm. there's the one cup final I'll always remember, 78, Arsenal versus Ipswich. I wasn't able to watch it because I uh, I was working. It was mildly interesting, I suppose. Um, he says... Uh, mildly. <laughs> very, very mildly. <laughs> uh, Brad Solomon says, uh, love the podcast, been listening since the beginning. Enjoy your banter. It's banter that banter. we Banter. Banter, banter. Is it really three series old? It certainly is. <laughs> series. <laughs> we use the term loosely because we don't imply any rhyme or reason. No, I might start series four soon. Just cause. Um, just cause. It reminds me of some of the conversations I have with my 19-year-old who's about to go to Nottingham University in September. What makes me laugh the most is when you discuss music. I really enjoy your picks, Martin, for the uh, podcast. But I find myself <laughs> liking Ruth's too, which is weird because as a 49-year-old, I'm sure I shouldn't be uh, enjoying what is essentially a Radio 1 playlist. So it's not at the moment. You know, that one today was fairly old-fashioned, it sounds to me. Not really, though. Like, the lyrics are quite brash. Like, that won't get, that doesn't get played on the radio in France, I don't think. Really? Well, one of the lines is, like, you won't play this on the radio. I don't know. I don't know how much it does. Like I think it would be on the like Radio One channels. It wouldn't be on like mm. Real. Real doesn't exist anymore, does it? No, in France, Magic it's called France Inter. 
Oh, well, yeah. interesting. There you go. Anyway, it says, thankfully, that's what Spotify is for. So, uh, thank you very much. Brad Solomon, who's the founder of the CTG Group. I've no idea what the CTG Group is. But, but congrats on that. But, yeah, congratulations. It's good to have a founder of, uh, of anything. Um, interestingly, Spotify, I don't know whether you use it enough to have this, but it's done a new thing, which is um, it'll tell you like whether you're in the top 3% of fans of someone or whatever. Ah. And I got that. I'm the top 1% of fans of Dolly Parton. Really? Yeah, I'm in the top 1% of people who listen to Dolly Parton, like the amount I listen and the variety. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you, thanks. I am second in the world. On Quiz Up, this is. On Quiz Up. uh, Which no one has, everyone else stopped playing about two years ago. Yeah, well, I'm second in the world uh, on Woody Allen films. Congrats. Thank you very much indeed. Are you familiar with the work of uh, Suzanne Moore? I am not, but she's a Guardian writer, I believe. She's a columnist in The Guardian, and she's a feminist, a very uh, dedicated feminist, uh, and has written a column this week, which I thought was spot on, absolutely spot on. Mm. And, well, I'll read you what she says as a feminist. She says, I feel a huge sadness when I look at the fragmentation of the landscape, where endless fighting, cancellations and no platformings have obscured our understanding of who our real enemies are. Now, you know, you may have read about the no-platforming of Selena Todd. Uh, she's a, a professor of modern... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You will have done. She's a professor of modern history at the University of Oxford. She was due to give a polite two-minute speech of thanks at an event at Exeter College, commemorating 50 years since Ruskin Colleges. Uh, you know, Ruskin College, very um, politically correct, left-wing, all that. Uh, Ruskin College's inaugural National Women's Liberation Conference. The day before Todd was due to speak, she says she was disinvited on the grounds that she'd addressed a meeting of the group Woman's Place UK, which was formed in 2017 after proposed changes to the Gender Recognition Act. We have talked about this before. Uh, The group campaigns for women to have separate spaces and distinct services on the basis of our biological sex. Todd, an esteemed professor of working class history, has, as a result of giving this talk to them, Mm. been accused on social media of being transphobic. Uh, Woman's Place UK was recently defined as a trans-exclusionist hate group in a pledge put together by the Labour campaign for trans rights, which Labour leadership candidates Lisa Nandy and Rebecca Long-Bailey signed up to possibly without thinking about it clearly enough. Uh, Woman's Place UK clearly isn't a hate group, and the Labour pledge led to many women using the hashtag expelme on Twitter, i.e. expel me from mm. the Labour Party, uh, because they were uncomfortable with people being able to self-declare as a man or a woman, whatever their biological sex, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, we've gone through the looking glass, is basically what Suzanne Moore says, uh, which I agree with, and are being told that sex is a construct. It is said that sex is merely assigned at birth rather than being a material fact. This is not complicated, she says, nor is there a spectrum, although there are small numbers of intersex people who should absolutely uh, be supported. So what Mm. she's saying, a woman's place UK is saying, it's not saying trans people, you know, it's not trying to put trans people down. What it's saying is there should be spaces for women who want their own spaces, which seems to be not a hate group, is it? Yeah, no, I I don't think it's a hate group in any sense like I think that's pretty clear you know a hate group is like Mm. the KKK like it's just completely I think it's completely irrational to say that but I do think there is like 
it's difficult to say you want women-only spaces and then exclude trans people from that because I do believe that trans women are just as much women as mm, biological should women. Should there not be uh, some sort of... But then, I'm like, where do you draw the line? Yeah, precisely. That's what I'm asking. Should there not mm. be some sort of cut-off point where you do say... No, either not way. A pun, no pun intended. Should there be some sort of point at which you say you are now a woman and should it not be... But, like, like, which way do you go... So, like, my thing of this is always, like, I think that being a woman is more than just about your ability to, like, have children. You know what mm. I mean? Like, that that kind of... No, I think we're all, we're all agreed on that. Yeah, like, but exactly. So, like, so no, no. So, if we're saying that trans women are excluded from these spaces for not being biological women, then what are we saying that womanhood is? Do you get what I mean? Mm. Well, so I think, then I, I'm saying that women, that trans women, should be allowed to be in women-only spaces. But then also, I don't want it to become where it's this stupid thing of like, oh, anyone who says they're a woman can mm. be in women-only spaces. Like that's well, I think that's all Women's Place UK is saying. And then to be, uh, you know, for someone to be no platform, someone who's... Oh, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I think it's absolutely... I think it's, a, like, a, a, genuinely a tragedy. Mm. To, and they, she and said, like, the university said they couldn't confirm her safety. Like, it's just unbelievable that it's this it's this like cancel culture that people have now which is just stupid like i remember my uh, uh, like a teacher telling me about how she went to hear marine le pen um speak mm-hmm. who is obviously like massively right-wing and pretty she racist question, questionable, questionable views, views yeah. yeah and they but the university i can't remember which like gave her a platform to speak on people went and then they debated with her afterwards that's the way to do it. That's, isn't it? that's but, what yeah. you do, you know, that you open up dialogues about it. It's not saying that, like, if you invite someone, you have to agree with everything they say. It's saying this person has something interesting to say, let's listen. Like, mm. that's all. What's your view on it? There's another uh, sort of question that arises as regards trans women, which says, because if they transition in later life, mm. uh, you know, if they transition maybe in their 20s, 30s or whatever, they can't call themselves real women. I'm not saying this, but people do say it, because they've not been a girl and they've not gone through all the struggles that a woman has, say, before the age of 20. Yeah etc etc so they're not they haven't had the you can't call themselves a woman because they've not had the experience of being a girl i kind of disagree with that i I think they have different experiences of being a woman like that's just a different thing and like i don't have the same experiences as a woman from another place like no no you know girls experiences like yeah we all go through the same puberty or whatever it's not the same experience you know like I think that's so. That's a specious argument, as far as I think so. Yeah, I like. I think that like when you talk about feminism and it becomes like very, it's not intersectional. So like it doesn't take into account like race and stuff. Do you think that people who are campaigning to be leaders of the Labour Party ought to just think a little more closely before signing up to every good cause that's going? Yeah, obviously. Uh, and also listen a bit more closely to Bruce Springsteen. Because, have you seen this? No. Uh, Rebecca Long Bailey has said uh, if Bruce Springsteen were British, he'd be singing Born in the NHS instead of Born in the USA, uh, not realising that it's about the Vietnam War. Oh, I don't really know. I, I know the song, obviously, but I've never really paid attention to it. No, but if you were going to uh, tweet something, yeah. you'd probably have a listen to it or just you can get the lyrics up on google it yeah uh, google it google it like we do with most of the things that we uh, discuss i just think it's it's also quick now you know it was one day when this uh, selena todd uh, had a platform taken off her it's 
one tweet that she puts out it's all of a sudden it's all a hate instantly, it's yeah. all really instant and that's the problem is that no one has and it's the same thing of like just cancelling something rather than giving it the opportunity to discuss because you delete a tweet you delete someone from a platform like that's that's the problem Uh, Nando's. Uh, you've been recently to Nando's, haven't you? No, it's not for ages. I thought you went to Did you not go? Two or three for... months. Ah, I've been to Nando's. your sister. Your sister went to Nando's. Ah, oh, jealous. Recently. Yeah. And she, she still like Nando's. Oh, I still really like Nando's. It's really well, good. Did you know that uh, children are using menu items from Nando's as slang for sexual topics. I absolutely did not know this. I am too old, I think. Uh, I think are, I'm out of the... Um, these are young teenagers who are in um, Nando's. I think they must time. be. Yeah. Well, it's according to an app. You can get an app that monitors what uh, your kids are typing on their phones. Mm. Uh, it's called Safe to Net. It screened more than 65 million texts from children and young teenagers. It found that girls as young as 10 are using mm. code words from the chicken restaurant chain's menu for explicit sexual language. Uh, I won't go through the sexual language, but you can imagine uh, what it is. Peri-peri uh, means one thing and coleslaw means something else. But this to me... So this story was in a couple of papers, but... To me, this sounds like Safe to Net, who are trying to flog their app, are, have just made up the, this thing and screened more than 65 million texts. I don't believe them. There's so much stuff in the newspapers that is just... A lot of it's clickbait, mm. you know, but there's a lot of it is PR. Somebody once said, news is what somebody does not want you to print. All the rest is advertising. And sometimes it's quoted as everything else is just PR. And mm. it's amazing how much stuff in the newspapers is just PR. Or on the internet, it's uh, clickbait. And uh, I had this interesting discussion as to where clickbait came from. Uh, do you remember the, the guy who's just uh, sent us, uh, Mark Bernstein, who sent us that email saying that he had to go out to a newspaper store yeah. to buy a newspaper? You'll have seen these in movies. It's basically somebody sits by, or stands up by a stall shouting out what's in the, what's in the newspapers and yeah. everything. And they have what they call a bill, which uh, the bill is the piece of paper, a big white piece of paper, which they scrawl on it, the latest, yeah, yeah. latest headlines. And we decided that was uh, clickbait. Be clickbait before even the internet was invented because people would scroll on those things famous film star dies and you think oh blimey I must buy the newspaper which film star uh, and you'd find out yeah to find out which film star died and then you find out on page 36 there would be one paragraph about somebody who'd had a bit part in one film mm. like 20 years ago yeah uh, and that was the famous film star so we decided that was why clickbait was first invented I used to work in Taunton in a, a new newspaper office and the evening paper used to go out and the guy that we call the circulation manager used to scrawl a story on the white piece of paper the bill that went by the stalls so that people were outside the shops so that people would know that was in the paper and he used to come into the newsroom where we were sitting and say what's a story that i can put on the book you know what's a story that'll get people to buy the paper that i can put on the bill and we told him there was a farmer in taunton and his all his hen houses had burnt down and uh, these chicks the day old chicks that he had in uh, these hen houses had all perished in this fire so on the bills there was 10,000 of these day old chicks and he just put on all these bills 10,000 die in Taunton fire 
thinking. <laughs> you know, so, and that is clickbait, and that's how clickbait works, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. It's just, a, just an interesting story for you. Yeah. Mildly interesting. Mildly. <laughs> Do you have anything to amuse us with this week? I have things to amuse you with, Dad. Oh, good. Um, I've got a yard crush. RM. Oh, your crush, just in case you don't know, it's just where you post anonymous confessions of love um, at the University of York. It says, RM, you have the same initials as research methods, but you're much more fun. Nice one. Because last week it was a bit rude, I believe. And then I'll get you a Yorkfest. So the York Tories Society, mm-hmm. uh, this is the big controversy. They're doing a fox hunting themed bar crawl to mm-hmm. honour Roger Scruton. Yes, he was a, a, a right-wing commentator, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so people are quite upset about this uh, because, because it's, of hunting. Uh, uh, people don't like and uh, people don't Scru- like people don't like, don't like Roger, Roger Scruton. Scruton. There's a yeah. Anyway, and so and then I don't really get this because I'm not very up on politics. But this is the your fest. If York Tories are doing a fox hunting themed bar crawl to honour Jer- Roger Scruton, can the Lib Dems do a dog killing bar crawl to honour Jeremy Thorpe? Oh, that is an, uh, that's uh, that's a very old story. It was it was on the TV. Hugh Grant played uh, Jeremy Thorpe. Um, interesting story. Uh, it was somebody who was having a homosexual affair with Jeremy Thorpe. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need me need. I keep meaning to watch this uh, really, Hugh Grant thing. It's really. Is it really good? Really brilliant. And Hugh Grant is just spot on. Yeah. He's, Absolutely, because I, obviously I lived through the times yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. Uh, he hired a, or allegedly, it's all alleged, but that uh, he allegedly hired a hitman to kill this Norman Scott who was uh, threatening to reveal the homosexual relationship he'd had with Jeremy Thorpe. Mm. And uh, the hitman was a bit incompetent and killed his dog instead of killing <laughs> uh, Norman Scott. Oh, see, so that's quite funny, actually. Yeah, not for the dog. No, the... the for Norman the, Scott. No. The, the response the, the is quite funny. That is yeah. quite funny, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so that was my um, your fest. Okay. Don't really have a meme for you because there wasn't anything that I found that funny. So, and I just thought I won't bore you with anything that is second class. Don't ever bore me with anything second class, Ruth. Uh, not in this five percent of time that we have. Left. Yeah, exactly. Got to make it <laughs> make it good. <laughs> make it the best. Yeah. Oh, we want to just give the email address. So the email address is Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail dot com. That's Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail dot com. And we do love to get your emails, whether you know you're opening up your heart to us or just raising any subjects or commenting on some of the stuff that we've talked yeah. about. So do email. Um, and thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.